It's always a great day when Nate Bauer joins the BWI Daily Edition. Today we're talking about Penn State practice, what we saw, and some of the things we talked about. A beautiful fall day yesterday at uh, Mount Nittany in the distance at the Penn State practice facility. Nate, how you doing today? And uh, how you feel after a late night with basketball last night? Yeah, we've we have reached the first of all. Thank you for asking. That means a lot. Um, <laughs> we've reached the the glorious part in the year where football has all of its stuff, the normal stuff, and then you add a eight thirty p.m. basketball game to open the season. Uh, on top of it, it's just, it's magical. It's a magical time of year. I love every bit of it. <laughs> well, uh, we'll, uh, we'll have a light load today. I'll do most of the lifting for you if you, if you don't mind. So I'll take some of that off of your plate today. I, yeah, I can talk. Just don't make me think. Okay. So, well, so, so maybe that'll be an issue. I, I tend to, I tend to do that. Uh, I'll do, I'll take care of that today. Um, your observations from practice yesterday, that's a, that's a non-thinker. That's just what you saw. Give me uh, what your eyes saw and your brain recorded. Yeah, um, I, and I, I'm actually curious to hear your thoughts on this. I was watching the quarterbacks for most of the time. I'd spent the past few practices with the defense, and uh, I thought that, again, to my untrained eye, I thought everybody looked sharp. I thought Clifford looked good. I thought Veyu looked good. And I'm reversing the order here. Taquan Roberson was obviously number two. But I thought Roberson looked good, too. Um, they're throwing on air. I get it. Um, but the, the, the cohesion between Penn State's quarterbacks and the targets, whether it was tight ends, running backs, or receivers, all, all checked the boxes for me. Um, so yeah, now that was the, that was the first thing. And then obviously, you know, there's, there was some injury, uh, speculation, right? Like, I mean, Penn state just doesn't commit. James Franklin doesn't commit yes or no as to whether a guy is going to go or not. Right. But certainly from a, an optimism standpoint, Penn state having, Devin Ford at practice, Penn State having Jonathan Sutherland and Jesse Lucetta, each of whom uh, the, the uh, Lucetta and Sutherland both missed the last game against Maryland, and Devin Ford has missed time since that Iowa game. So, um, you know, to have those guys out there, we'll see. We'll see what that means. James Franklin, after practice, said, "We'll see what that means." You know, sometimes it's a game time decision, so uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But certainly pretty pretty impossible to debate the importance of a guy like Jesse Lucetta yeah being available in a especially, game like this. especially in this particular game i said after uh the last game in a game where maryland ran the ball like 12 times you're not really going to need Jesse Lucetta a run stuffer as much you are going to need him in this game and and i spent a lot of time yesterday down with the offensive and defensive line. And this is something that they were working on good on good. The pass rush, and especially you see here, stunts at the end. So bringing in not only pass rush to focus on that with the, the game they have coming up this weekend with the guys they have coming up, but also then some of the weaknesses that they've had over the, the season of you're engaged with somebody on the line of scrimmage and you need to then see, communicate, 
pass off and pick up the extra rusher so that, you know, Sean Clifford has the ability to stand firm in the pocket with nobody coming free. Um, I, I I can't remember from what I watched this week on film if that's a, a Michigan thing that they do a lot. I do remember some of it, but it's just so hard when the things I remember are just David Ajabo and uh, Aiden Hutchinson just going around the edge. They, they yeah. can win straight, so that's one of the things where uh, it is going to be a problem because if they do get those guys bending to the interior, that's a matchup of Juice Scruggs, Mike Miranda, and uh, Eric Wilson. You want to have prepared because if you're a tick off on picking up those stunts against those guys, Clifford, that, that is another potential your quarterback gets injured situation. So I was watching them do a lot of that. Um, and then the other thing is Phil Troutwine. And we've talked about this a lot this week, Nate. Um, people are very upset with the Penn State offensive line. And they're looking for a place to place that blame, that anger, that hurt. And, of course, the guy who's the coach, well, obviously it's his fault. And I just want to say this again. Having observed him at practice, and I tried to listen more this time because, you know, it's incredibly hard to, like, make sure your video is focused and you have everything right there and also be in the moment. I tried to do that more this week, and every time I hear him coach, he's telling them the things they need in order to succeed. Get your hands inside. Lower your pad level. Drive. Don't just hit him. Bring your feet. Bring your hips. He's saying all... He's telling them the right thing to do, but Nate... You can't get blood from a stone sometimes. And to add on to that, what I think is important about that conversation is that the players are receptive to it. It's not as though Yeah. The right so like you're saying, okay, well he's saying he's saying all the things that they need to know. Okay. That may be true, but Sometimes there's a wall, there's a, a, a synapse that doesn't fire, right? And yeah. they, they don't they don't bridge that gap between players and coach. Well, this is the opposite. He he is like beloved by these guys when they talk right. about him. The the impact that he has had um, in terms of their perceptions of the game, they're they're to a man. Those guys all talk about how he has you know changed their minds opened their eyes i mean whatever cliche you want to pick he he has helped do that for 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 a lot of those guys and so yeah. you know look like it's it, you're right about talent and you know you got to work with what you got for sure but uh, you know I, I don't i and james franklin has said this multiple times Certainly nothing that has gone on this season has been for a lack of trying. Yeah. Um, right. There's no, there's no lack of effort there. It's just. Something uh, I've been wondering is that uh, the long-term effects of the offensive and defensive line in terms of missing an entire off season of lifting. And I'm not, this is not trying to create excuses or to try and retrofit anything, but really just kind of bringing into new light of, I was thinking about this this week and we're going to get into this with the Penn state running backs, but you can't just, I think people misunderstand what it is to be strong. You don't just, you're, you don't just decide to be strong. It is a daily decision to go in and lift and put your body through things that other people just don't. Like, even on a casual basis, people that lift don't, you know, go that hard. 
if you miss an entire cycle, and I would have to gen, I, gen, I would have to ask, um, uh, help me out here, strength coach, just blank. Dwight on. Galt. Dwight Galt. I'd have to ask Dwight Galt about how, the importance of stacking cycles year to year, yeah. not just the individual. They got back into it. They lifted this year. Is that having an effect on guys like Juice Scruggs that are athletic and strong and have that potential to be great? And Mike Miranda, who we've seen play with physicality in the past, but just some of that is missing this year. And I wonder if that is along the offensive and defensive line specifically, missing those things is a problem. Now, the problem, the, the, the flip side is PJ Musford didn't have a problem. Derek Tangelo doesn't have a problem. Jesse Lucchetta doesn't have a problem. So other players don't have a problem of being strong. It's just specifically the offensive line. But if you don't, the point being, if you don't have that built in, if you haven't worked on it and you don't have that talent of in your lower body, you're just so physically strong, explosive, and violent, you just can't do it. There's no there's no fixing it in the moment. As much technique as you want to have, that's great. You can then position your body to open up gaps, but you can't physically move somebody if you don't have the ability to. Yeah, I th- I mean, look, like I a couple of things. One, it's hard. Like having a good offensive line is hard. Yeah. <laughs> Any anywhere, even the good ones. Yeah. I, I mean, how how awesome was Wisconsin's offensive line against Arnold Evacetti? Right in the first game of the season, they're okay. They were okay as run blockers. Uh, they were okay, but guess what? It only takes three or four times a game to have a lapse, to have one person right who just doesn't get it done, who loses his rep, and it can change the game. It is. It becomes this glaring issue, whether it actually is or not because I think that and to to something that James Franklin has kind of been saying throughout the season and I think that you would agree the pass protection hasn't been bad yeah (laughs) Yeah. I mean for for the for the the number of reps that they're taking in pass protection um and the number of throws that that Sean Clifford is making from game to game I don't don't think that there are huge critiques to be made of of Penn State's offensive line I'm not saying they're perfect couple of them I do uh but but yeah, as as a unit, yes, they have been good pass protectors. Yes. So that's so that's one. The 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 second point, and this goes back to what you were just saying about Dwight Galt. I had an interview with him, and this is again like we're talking uh, nearly two years ago now, right? Uh, Eighteen months ago, when mm-hmm. all the stuff first happened, and Penn State football wasn't going to be able to practice right that spring right that's yeah. that's what it felt like at the time was okay well yeah we're gonna miss a couple of practices whatever obviously it grew into something so much larger than that but point is Dwight Galt was devastated like it looked like somebody shot his dog he was so like he he knew that there were no answers you couldn't replicate yeah, the type of training that they do, the type of elite athleticism tools that are necessary to maintain and build on it, right? Because it's not, it was going to be hard enough to stay here, yep. let alone do this. Yep. And so when your answer to all of that is to, to buy up as many 50 pound bags of sand as you can at Lowe's so that those guys can put them in backpacks... Yep. And weight train with them. 
it's not it's not an equitable substitute. Yeah. And so it, like it's there, it's, there fu- it's fine for me to buy a kettlebell and work out in here because the Y is closed. It's a different thing for an athlete. Here's another thing. Find so for some people finding a place to run and sprint and to actually sprint at the level you need to. You need a certain level of competition, which means other people. All those are a problem. Uh, but yep. it does it does lead into something else I want to talk about because, of course, we talked about the run game yesterday with James Franklin after practice. And sure of, did. Of course, it was the majority of the conversation, uh, and a lot of it was the same. A lot of the answers were the same. A lot of the questions were the same. Penn State's not going to pick a lead back. Penn State is is not going to have one guy take the unless somebody steps up and becomes the guy that breaks off big runs is what James Franklin said. Can you give yep. us a summation of of your view of the situation? Because I have a definitive answer at this point of what I think they should do going forward, and it is very different than what they are doing at the moment. Yeah, so I think that James Franklin's argument, and I'm and I'm I'm not exactly sure where I stand on it. I think that the numbers probably back it up once you adjust for sacks and right, like put everything into proper context. Penn State had 25 carries from its running backs, right? So John Lovett, Kevon Lee, and Noah Kane. Yep. At Maryland. They net positive yards 109 yards yep in that that's game. right yep 25 carries for 109 yards from one back on the day and in your fantasy football league you're pretty stoked about that like you're pretty happy yep um so is it is it is it exactly what you want no and the reason that it's exactly not you what you want is because of what James Franklin keeps saying over and over, which is one of those 25 carries needs to go for 40 yards. Yep. Just one, just one. And it totally upends what your numbers are. It, it really does. I mean, it's, it, it may seem, um, it, it may not sound like it should be this way, but one 60 yard carry will change certainly your game statistics, but it changes where you stand for the season as well. Yeah. And so it, it changes the the topography of a drive. It's the same thing as getting a 30 yard pass. It's the, there's no like from a functional point, there is no difference between a 30 yard pass and a 30 yard run. The point is to get 30 yards, but correct. they are not, as we've talked about, and you brought this up several times, they are not getting any explosiveness out of the ground game. This is my this is my whole point. Everything we just talked about, about not being able to be strong. The ability to be strong is not just being naturally strong. It's not like you just go out in the woods and you rip down trees with your bare hands. I so, do. Yeah, you and Anthony Zettel both just go out and tackle trees. Um, <laughs> you have to work on it. And if you can't work on it, you can't be strong. For the 900th week in a row, Noah Kane does not have the ability that you saw as a true freshman, if you watched him then. That guy is not here this year. If this offseason he's healthy and he can put together enough days in the weight room to regain that form, then he can be. But this year he's not breaking tackles, and he's not fast. So what he has is vision and smarts. That doesn't get you 40 yards. 
So to me, there are two players, but I'm going to single one out as the guy that needs to get more than just eight carries in one game because the decisiveness and the negative yards have eliminated from Kevon Lee's game for the most part. He leads the team in 10-plus yards uh, runs. And over the last two weeks specifically, it's a very small sample size, but he's averaged 3.91 yards per con after contact per carry. So he's generating that big back stuff while also getting you enough pop in the run game. Not 25 yards, but 10. So to me, the only way to get those 25, 30 yards, the only hope you have is Kevon Lee, because he does have the leg drive to break a tackle on a safety. Or John Lovett, who, who, who has the vision, and we talked to him yesterday, really interesting conversation about how running backs should play. He's got the other stuff, the vision and the patience, and enough speed to do that. One of those two guys... Maybe both of those guys have to get more carries because Noah Kane, as smart as he is, as helpful as he is in the offense, he there's just no way he's generating those yards. I th I think what's curious to me, and I and this is a topic of discussion ripe for debate, but if anyone had done it, this wouldn't be happening. If yeah. it, right, yeah. we wouldn't be having this conversation. There would be no debate. They would make a choice. Like right. some somebody asked him last night, and it's not it's not an incorrect question to say, well, you know, would it would it change your outlook if you wanted to go with one guy on a two to one basis, right? He gets right. two whatever, right? A half a play or, or however you want to do it, but uh, change the ratio. Right. And I mean, I thought his answer was, was telling. Uh, literally, I'll quote it. When somebody makes it obvious that they're the guy, then they'll be the guy. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that is it. Is, is I know what you're going to say, that eight carries for Kevon Lee is not enough. And what? that yeah. he does that that that's not <coughs> excuse me enough of an opportunity for him to be able to demonstrate that. But look, at some point you're you're playing odds and you're playing percentages in both directions, and so yeah, it's easy to say okay, well, uh, the the likelihood of you hitting is dim it, you, right like no no running back goes for 10 yards a carry that doesn't happen no nobody no. does that doesn't matter how good the offensive line is right so you're gonna have a bunch of three yard carries you're gonna have a couple of eight yard carries sprinkled in and best case scenario you get an opportunity to rip a big one yep that big one just has not happened this season and i i understand that you, you know you certainly the argument can be made it's for a lack of carries but how many carries does lee have this season uh i can pull that up right now let's see he has uh he has it's enough <laughs> it's i'm sorry enough. i have this i have this wrong in the last two weeks, he has 14 carries for the season. I gotta, I gotta pull that up. Let me, I'll get that in one second. Uh, I guess my none of these guys are gonna be the guy. None of them. I, I even Kevon Lee. I have, I was not as high on him last year as a lot of people were because I saw his limitations immediately. 
like the the ceiling is defined but in the parameters that we're what we're talking about right now of who can actually there's an outside chance of him hitting those runs he's the only he's yeah that's what they're down to that's what they're down to is is that particular situation and his problem early in the season were negative plays putting you behind yeah. the sticks you cannot yeah. have that when it comes to that situation. And that's what I asked James of, he seems like he's being more decisive and consistent. Is that what you're seeing from him? And, and, and James said, yeah, sure, sort of, but we want to hit home runs. And I just don't, they seem to be hanging on to Noah Kane being the guy to be the lead back and to be the guy that can do that. And I just, that's my only assertion that that's my only uh, pushback on that is I just don't think he can be. He leads them with 93 carries on the season. Kevon Lee has 56. So there is a there is a gulf of 40 carries, which is like five games for this team when it comes to the situation. Yeah, I, I, look, I don't I don't have any real objection to the argument in terms of distribution. I, my only pushback is distribution or not the approach of needing to use multiple backs isn't going to really change it no. it's not they just they don't they don't have they don't and and like I, sometimes i feel like uh, when we get into a conversation like this it makes it sound as like we're talking about the dregs of society that there are <laughs> right like they, right. They, these guys have no talent whatsoever these are high four star running backs like these are guys who were rated very highly coming out of high school and uh are are by all purposes pretty good running backs like they yeah. i mean i certainly i don't think that there's any debate that there's room to grow and that there's room to develop uh noah kane got hurt it, it happens yep. it's it's not it's not fair uh and it, it's not uh, an indicator of what he's put into the game it just it happened and and very clearly at this point, it's 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 obvious that more time is necessary for him to get back to the point that he was when he played in really the Cotton Bowl in 2019. Yep. It just he hasn't had that opportunity since then. So there's that. But you know, uh, somebody even asked about Nick Singleton next season, and Nick is is very interesting to me because I, I understand what he's doing at the high school level. I understand what. Uh, everything looks like in terms of what his possibility is, what his capability is. It took Saquon Barkley six games to be the starter. Yeah. Right. Like Akil yep. Lynch kept that job yep. for half of that season in his true freshman year. It is really, really hard. It is really, really hard to come in and immediately take over a job like that. Yep. And so I, I just, I don't know that there are, answers on par with a Travion Henderson like it, it yeah. just not all not all of the pieces are going to align at the same time to make that a daily game by game occurrence for this team but you, you know they got to do it <coughs> they got to do enough go ahead well no no I was just gonna say I mean they they just you don't have to hit on five a game but you got to hit one yeah, you just you just got to get there. And can and I get you I up to two? Can I get you up to two? Sure, <laughs> sure. So, and and I think I think that part of that is the screen game. Yeah, right. Like I mean, I yeah. think that that part of the, like that they would count that as a run is a dump off pass, what what have you. But 
It just it's just an element that has been missing for Penn State for a variety of reasons this season that it really comes into stark relief how important it is to making this offense go. Uh, there is one guy that I think has all of those traits, but currently he's redshirting. So we'll we'll see what happens. What <laughs> on I, the roster? Uh huh. Yeah. I tell you, me more. You know how much I like Kaziah Holmes. <laughs> You know how, because again, it starts with speed. You need to be faster than people to run away from people. Uh, and and he's a he's a much thicker, bigger dude, stockier than uh, than Devin Ford. And, and you know, the Devin Ford's a mystery so far this season, as far as everything about it. Um, we've spent twenty minutes talking about the run game. When and this is something I thought last night driving home. Same situation of this is the big conversation. So this is what we're talking about today. But there is a certain element of what's gone right for this team. You know, like what are the good things? We, we spend so much time talking about what's wrong that yep. we, we tend to ignore some of the strengths of the team and how important those particular ones are. You and I talk about it quite a bit, but we never publicly like with other groups of people other than you and me talk about how good the passing game has been in a yep. in a functionality standpoint and how they've been able to stay in and win games with that so I just want to end this particular part of the the uh the conversation about yesterday saying that the running game is one thing but it's not like they don't have the ability to win games other ways they've yep. done it six times this year which is twice as many times as they've lost it it I, I mean I I cannot get past this because I, when I see critiques of it, it it makes me want to pull my hair out. It is tremendously beneficial to have a defense that allows 17 points a game. Yeah. It doesn't matter how good or bad your offense is. Getting the 17 is something that is possible for most teams. Yep. And when your defense is adding to that tally with some of its own points and some of its gifted field position opportunities. I mean, it's, it's a huge difference maker. So no, I mean, I, I look Sean Clifford when healthy this season has been a very effective quarterback. Yep. That's the hard points. stuff, by the way, that's the hard stuff. That's the hard stuff is the quarterback thing. We'll talk about that with our preview, uh, especially talking about Cade McNamara and what he does for the Michigan offense that I think is a little bit underrated. But the first thing I want to do, Nate, is I want to introduce a new series. We've been teasing a little bit. We've done it a little bit, but it is now official because we have an intro. Oh, boy. I want to know what's on your mind. I asked for questions on Twitter. And we got a couple good ones that we're going to talk about today on what's on your mind. Questions for myself and Nate Bauer. Our first question is, did the, and this is one that I wanted you specifically to talk about because I think you might have a good insight here. And it's not something that I particularly have a good read on from a football standpoint. Did the financial limitations lead to Ricky Ronnie being hired as the offensive coordinator after Joe Moorhead went to Mississippi State? And what about Matt Limegrover? We'll skip that part for now. But did James really want Ricky Ronnie, or is that what he could afford? Because I do agree with this last part. The decision there is showing up big time this season after wandering through the desert like the Israelites to find a new offensive coordinator over the last couple of years. How do you think that played out from a financial versus a football standpoint? So is is the argument that you're making that the recruit, right? So like the players that are on the field. So 
I think that I understand, okay, this is the trouble with going through three offensive coordinators in uh, three years or, you know, whatever the number is. There's two parts of it that, I, but I want the, I kind of want to focus on the, the reasons why Ricky Ronnie was hired, because I find that to be the part that is interesting because I do think that the development of those players at that position of Sean Clifford was yeah. stunted by a not having a quarterback developer that I think was consistent. I, I wasn't overly impressed with Ricky Ronnie developing the techniques and abilities of that position. And then B, going through so many guys before you get to another one. Um, but for the reasons why he was hired, do you buy the whole idea of getting assistant coaches salaries was the reason they went with Ricky Ronnie or was it something different? I, I honestly... I don't know. I, okay. I, my, the, I, I think that, and based on some of the comments that he's made, um, and the fact that the fact that he remained the offensive coordinator for a couple of years suggests to me that if James Franklin was severely disappointed with the output in any way, that he would have made that transition sooner. Um, I, I'm not right. Like Penn state's 2019 scoring was top 10 all time in the program. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the, the I'm, I'm with like, I don't think that there is any question that recruiting and developing quarterbacks on the whole has come up short. That has been a hole in this program's game. And it is a, I'm not going to call it a massive hole, but it's a massive impact. Yep. It, it, it just, yep. it touches everything. And so the fact that that has, the fact that they weren't able to get in any of those years, a, a guy to succeed Sean Clifford in any real, because even, even Will Levis wasn't the answer yeah. for the future. Yeah. Not, not for what they want to do. Nope. He's perfect for Kentucky. He yep. does exactly what Kentucky wants to do. Yep. That's exactly <laughs> and, and, right. I mean, it's almost surprising that he didn't go to Kentucky in the first place. Yep. <laughs> like, I don't know what the recruiting situation was there, yep. but you see him at Kentucky <clears throat> and you say, oh, that makes sense. He's that's. That's perfect for Kentucky. That's yep. exactly what Kentucky He's does. He's the next evolution of what they want at quarterback. And this has been their recruiting philosophy under James Franklin is when they need the quarterback influx, they take two from what I've seen so far. They take the guy that's the obvious quarterback, the passer, right? The guy that is athletic enough but is primarily a quarterback. And then they get an athlete that they think they can develop as a quarterback, Tommy Stevens. Um, uh, Michael Johnson Jr., Taquan Roberson. It is almost Carbon, like every year that they bring in two, carbon copy, quarterback, maybe a little bit undersized, undervalued by the market, and then a super athlete to see if they can hit and get the guy that can do both. That's been yep. the biggest problem is they can't. They can't. Tommy Stevens is a tight end in the NFL. Will Levis is the quarterback at Kentucky. He's the closest to, to any of that that we've seen so far. Michael Johnson Jr., I haven't followed his career. I think he's at FAU right now. But, you know, he was he was very much every time we saw him in, in practices and in scrimmages, he was very much an athlete for, first. And the quarterback part was was not really 
coming along at all from what I saw. So that's yep. a part of this, but now they can, it's seemingly, they're targeting the quarterback on that side of things. Quarterback, Drew Aller, athlete quarterback, Bo Perbula. Both of them are good quarterback athletes. One of them seems like a special thrower of the football, so that's the difference this year. But yeah, I, I, the, 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 the recruiting in that position makes it so that everything else has to be better. Everything, the offensive line, the running backs, the receivers, everything, has to all be special if you don't have the special quarterback. Yeah. No, it's just it. It's it's always interesting seeing viewing some of these things in hindsight as long term indicators of what what happens, <laughs> right? right? Like, I mean, you you can point to these crossroads moments and okay, well, James Franklin making the decision to fire John Donovan was probably not an easy one necessarily for a guy who had been with him. Yeah. But the choice of Joe Moorhead was, I mean, it changed the trajectory of the program for sure. <laughs> uh, right. In, in the, the Trace McSorley didn't have to be good. <laughs> right. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't have to be a winner. Um, and there were elements of that before he, you know, kind of blossomed the way that he did in 2016. But my point is when, when, when a decision like Ricky Rane as the offensive coordinator comes in, I, I think I, to me, it was more about how do you replace Ricky Rane? Yep. I, I, and, and I don't think, I don't think that there's any real debate that James Franklin has made it clear that Kirk Scirocco was not his first option. <laughs> yeah. It just, yeah. that, that is, that is something that, that he has kind of alluded to. And, uh, he has talked about trying to uh, previously trying to have gotten Mike Yersich in the, in the program. And so, you know, maybe the conversation isn't so much, while Ricky Rane wasn't able to to recruit a strong quarterback as much as it is the 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 confluence of a pandemic and Kirk Sharaka. Yeah. So on on where this program is. The 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 one thing I always thought about this, and this is we'll we'll move on because there's another question that I think relates to this pretty well. Um I always said that the the most important hire that James Franklin made was um was Joe Moorhead. And that's not my opinion. That is that is I think a a unique that is a ubiquitous one across all opinions of this program. But I always thought that the most important talent evaluation that James Franklin did was of Ricky Ronnie, the assistant that he had all the way back at Kansas State that followed him to Penn State. And if you don't give him that offensive coordinator opportunity that year, he's leaving and you've also said in a certain sense and this is kind of very deep psychological thing I I was wrong about this guy all the way back. So I have invested all this time. I need to give this guy a chance because I also inve have invested in believing in this particular position. Plus, we can run what I want to. We're going to run my offense that we've had over the years. So I think that was a part of it, too. And you're right. If you, if you don't give him that job, then you lose Ricky Ronnie and Joe Moorhead at the same time. Then you have more to replace at that point. So those are probably some of the factors that go into that. The next question, though, does come uh, in a uh, similar vein from Heather Ashley. 
you know we're tired of talking about this, uh, about Drew Aller specifically, but wouldn't be a little nuts for James Franklin to leave for another job when he is the number one quarterback in the class of 22? Isn't that like finding the Holy Grail then tossing it in the trash? Um, how much does this really good recruiting class with the number one running back as well in the class and one of the top defensive ends in the class as well, a, a possibly historically good class in terms of their the view of them nationally and in the program, how much does that play into the into some of the uh, politicking that goes on that we've been talking about this year? Not at all. I don't think. You don't think? <laughs> Not really. In what way? So I think that I, I, I agree a little bit. I do think it is a factor because, again, winning at the highest level is the chip. It's the thing that solves the problem for you that says, I now have the leverage. Not just I have leverage, I have the leverage. We have now won a Big Ten championship. I've recruited the quarterback. You need to get on my level. Yeah. But, but it's only a factor because what if he's not? And if yeah. you're James Franklin, and I think the only realistic place is USC. If you go to USC, you can you can you have a higher probability of getting a top five quarterback if you're in the area where they live. And there's a lot of quarterbacks that come out of California. It, you you're not going to bet your whole career on one kid. That that would be kind of my summation of it's a factor. There's the hope of it, but it's nothing's guaranteed. Yeah, I mean, look. Uh... Amani Orwarie had never visited Penn State and was a Vanderbilt commitment and came yeah. with James Franklin to Penn State. Yep. So there's no, first of all, I'm just going to put it out there. I don't think he's leaving. Um, that's, yep. I, I just, I think that, that that is a necessary ingredient for me to put that out there. Um, but, there's all kinds of possibilities and, and I don't like, it's just, it's, we think of things in the immediate way too much when it comes to bigger decisions like this. Yeah. yeah. Bigger decisions from the point of the program, bigger decisions from James Franklin's point of view, all, all of those things, they sort themselves out. They, they always do. Um, it, it is, it is simply about, long-term health of the program <clears throat> having the opportunity to compete um and and do it at the highest level and i mean look he, he talked about it again last night it, it, it this is this is a drumbeat that is not going away i think he he maybe by the time that there was a follow-up question asked about it was ready to move on to the to the next subject um yeah. but it, it is his point that he has made repeatedly now is this notion of competition. It's the number one thing that he has in his core values. <laughs> the, the, yep. the first thing that he preaches is competing. And so to expect that he would feel any differently about how the rest of the institution conducts itself, wanting to be part of that competition, wanting to be the best, to beat the best. All of those things are something that you you would... How could he not? Right. <laughs> how, it, how could that not be a, a major part of, of who he is and what he wants we've from said his program? This, we've said this a bunch of times. Like, if you're focusing on the money, you're focusing on the wrong thing. It's, it's about 
winning. It's about winning and competing and and having a realistic shot. When when somebody asked him, is the college football playoff fair? And he said, no, it's obviously it's not. Life is not fair. But that's the that's the thing he's fighting against. Literally in this situation is how do I make this more fair for my place and less fair for others? Correct. It it is yeah. it is a the game is rigged. Yeah. And in a in the best way possible if you have the resources to exploit it. Yep. It is these are decisions. These these are these are choices that are made. And so the 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 irony that I just keep coming back to about all of this is that people I, I understand the fan sentiment of frustration. Uh, of having to constantly wonder whether or not James Franklin is committed to Penn State. It, I don't think that that is an invalid position for fans to have. But if if you examine the issues and if you look at what he's saying, the subtext of what he's saying, he, and I get it, like he's asking people to read between the lines a little bit because you cannot be openly insubordinate to your superiors. You're yeah. trying to rally support. <laughs> you're trying you're trying to get these people to be on your side, the decisions makers, the the stakeholders, the people who who are able to write checks. But he he is simply like no one is rallying harder as an advocate for Penn State football than James Franklin. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. like nobody is more committed. Nobody is more deeply invested in trying to get the program to this place that I think everyone can acknowledge and identify is wanted. So this is the other thing too, Nate, and I want to, I want to move on to uh, some stuff to, to get into the game coming up this weekend. But this is something I said as well, a couple, I think a week ago or two weeks ago, uh, something that I said on the message board to one of our, our subscribers is you did a, uh, an article where you talk to the powers that be on the other side. And as to my knowledge, you're the only person who's talked to those people because they don't have to talk every week. James Franklin, four times a week, is in front of a microphone promoting Penn State. So, the, of course, everyone's going to blame the thing they can see and the only side of the story that you're actually getting. So that, to me, is a huge part of this conversation as well is... Yeah, it's it's kind of like you're going you're going after the wrong guy, but you're only you're going after the guy that you can see. So what else are you supposed to think? Uh, this is one question, one quick one uh, from Mud Dog on Twitter. How many first uh, how many players go in the first round? There better be one. If Jaquan Brisker is not a first round draft pick, then it's it is a rigged system. I will believe that it's a rigged system uh, in the NFL draft against Penn State defensive backs because he has done <laughs> literally everything you can ask for other than have a uh, he just hasn't gone to the combine yet he's put yeah. stuff on film in the box deep um in in single coverage and zone coverage i think he he should be a guy that the nfl wants for his versatility and his explosiveness so if he's not a first round pick i will now believe i will entertain the talk that it is rigged against certain schools that have a stigma last question here goes into the game uh, is Clifford going to get some more running lanes up through the middle of Michigan's outside pass rush? How much of an effect does Hassan Haskins having to carry the full load play in this game late? Nate, I'll give you the floor. Clifford's rushing. Go. Those are those are two very different subjects, right? 
just so I'm reading this correctly. <laughs> yes. Somebody uh, asked two questions at the same time. Okay. Uh, and by the God. way, we do that all the time, so I was not going to penalize him for doing that because media people ask five questions in one question. So Yeah. I got a, I got a question and a follow-up, and the follow-up has nothing to do with the question. <laughs> um, no, I think, I think that uh, – I, I mean, it remains a very important piece of the game to me because I think, like – we're going to talk about Hutchinson um, and we're going to look at the game in that context, but Ohio state had some pretty good defensive ends too. And guess what? (laughs) They won the game for Ohio state. Like that's, that's the bottom line there. So my question is, is how much different is Sean Clifford health wise today than he was for that Ohio state game? Um, I don't, I don't have an answer for that. I mean, certainly I think that, you would say um, it 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 has been a steady trajectory back to fairly good health. Yeah, um, you, you know, but it, it those make a difference. Not getting on on plays that aren't free shots to his blind side. He's got to step up and make a play. He's got he's got to be able to escape that collapsing pocket and get out of that jam. And yeah. he wasn't able to do that for a couple of times. It only takes a couple of times. He wasn't able to do that at Ohio state. It ended up costing them pretty badly. So this is something I was accused of skewing some stats here uh, because of the pre and post injury being a dramatically different amount of time. I think that's fair, but it, there's, there's things that go into this as well. There was no need to scramble against Maryland. Either the throw was there or they brought seven people. So that was really the situation against Maryland. Against Ohio State, it was kind of the same thing of what you just talked about of uh, the defensive ends were collapsing. But again, they were they were sending six. There were no running lanes available. And when there were in both games the last two weeks, he did he opted to stay in the pocket. That's a big thing. And of course, against Illinois, he was injured and did not throw. He did not scramble. One big thing, and this is something that, that I brought up again earlier this week, was that um, even on his scrambles, he's been holding the ball for a shorter amount of time. So I do think that the injury has affected him, but he is. this is the game he has to be full health for that question. Back to Steve's question. There is no mitigated version of Sean Clifford that's going to win this game. And I said the same thing about Ohio State, and it, it sort of proved to be true that you, you can't have a mitigated version of Sean Clifford who can't run. So the, the major places you run are against single man coverage, with either a spy or two deep safeties. That's where you have the most room to run. That's where he's done his most damage. And that's why I was trying to preface this with, previously, there was no need for him to run or there was no place to run. There will be in this game. So it he does have to make some of those plays happen with his feet. And as far as the Haskins uh, carrying the full load, I don't think that that's necessarily the part you should focus on. It's the lack of explosiveness from uh, Blake Corum. He's an explosive, fast runner, and having just one fewer of those, if that's the case for Michigan, it's a big deal because that's their offense. That's a that's an if, not a yeah an certainty. If. Yeah. Uh, what I what Clayton Safey said yesterday on the BWI Daily Edition. Check out that awesome interview with him. He was great. Uh, also part of the On Three Network. So if you want to sign up for On Three, it's just a dollar at Blue White Illustrated. One single dollar. Gets you 12 months of access. So if you sign up, I'm not saying sign up uh, at the end of the season. I want you to sign up now. But just like let's do the math. You sign up Saturday, right? 
That means you get all the way through till the third to last game of next year for a dollar. So you get 2022 basically the whole season for a dollar. So sign up now. Link is in uh, the description of the video. There's no reason not to do it. Going into the preview of Michigan. I asked James Franklin this yesterday poorly, but a good quarterback, how important is a good quarterback that's a veteran that doesn't make mistakes when it comes to what you can do against him defensively? I think that's going to be the major story of this game is two veteran quarterbacks that don't make a ton of mistakes. Even Sean Clifford doesn't make a ton of mistakes. And how do defenses, how do the two defenses react to them and what do they do? Um, what is your thought on just in general the those two guys who would you say is the is the better of the veteran quarterbacks oh boy uh i don't know i mean it certainly seems like mcnamara's been fairly effective for them this season and, and when i say effective i mean the same thing that i <laughs> i can't i can't help myself doesn't lose games for them yep right it's yep. not about winning games it's don't are can you not lose games and he has done that. He has not lost games for them. Now, I have a bias and a skewed perception from him throwing into double coverage when they could have won that Michigan State game. Um, there was still an opportunity to win that game for Michigan, and he got picked off, and that was the game. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think that there certainly there are some opportunities for Penn State to, if it's a tight game, then all bets are off. It, it, right. I mean, it's just every single play, every single snap matters yep. and every single decision that these guys make matters. Now, if, if Michigan is just able to run it up and down the field and there's no resistance to that and Penn state can't turn those drives between the twenties into field goals, once they get to the red zone, yeah, then it doesn't matter. It's not, it, it's a non-starter, yeah. you know, Penn state just loses. Yeah, uh, but if this is going to be a are... lot like the Wisconsin game in that aspect. Totally, of totally, uh, and, and I think this this offensive line's a little better, but they're just okay. I still think that they're just an okay offensive line. Uh, but the quarterbacks, to me, because you're right, not making mistakes is what Cade McNamara does, and taking advantage of what he sees and being able to see. This is what I meant when we were wrapping up the running back discussion of what. We focus on the negatives, and even I do this, of like, well, Cade McNamara doesn't create explosive plays in the passing game. They don't have any explosive receivers. They don't, they're not built to win the way that I think you should win football games. But they do have explosiveness in the run game, and they he doesn't make mistakes, and he takes advantage of inefficiencies or gotcha moments of when, when Brent Price sends a slot blitz with the slot corner six yards off the line of scrimmage. He's going to see that, and he's going to replace yep. that with a throw. It might get eight yards, but it got eight yards instead of a sack. And that's yep. what, I, you know, even watching NFL quarterbacks, sometimes they miss that stuff. So not doing those things is as important as doing the great things. And both these guys do that. And that is the part about Sean Clifford, too, is people want to point out everything that isn't going right. And even, I again, not getting those big down-the-field plays. But his ability to diagnose coverage has been great this year. On the whole, yep. on the whole, yep. it has been a major step forward, and that's why Penn State has won and been in all but one game this year. You know, and they were still in the game they lost. Like, it just felt like that second half of the Illinois game, there was no chance they were winning because he couldn't throw the ball. Yeah, I mean, look, every, every game has been competitive that Penn State has played this season. There's no, there's no real arguing that. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it's if if you look at last season to this season, it's the difference. Yeah. Is Penn State is there? I mean, two differences really. The defense has created takeaways, which it did not do last season, and Penn State's offense stopped giving it away. <laughs> That's it. They're, they're, I mean, they're mostly the same team. They're they a, a a big part of this Penn State team is the same as it was a season ago. Uh, a little less effective running the ball, but for for Sean Clifford's portion of that, he just makes better decisions. Yeah, he makes better decisions. But but. Like the misses are still there. Yeah. The yeah. Right. Like the, the misfires, the, the, the opportunities that he, he doesn't connect on, which are, are not insignificant. They they are significant. That's um, the problem it, with trying to play this way and not having a great quarterback is those misses matter more because you're going to miss the easy things <laughs> and the hard things. <laughs> That's yeah, really just, where they are at times. I just think it's, I just think it's difficult for, for me to gauge watching one guy all year versus the game by game opportunity that I get with Penn State's opposing quarterbacks, because my perception of CJ Stroud was that he prevented Ohio state from winning that game by 28 points. Yeah. He also, right, like, uh, well, I, I would, I would push back on the idea that he also got them as many points as he did. He made a lot of great plays. Penn State was doing a lot of things, and this is kind of folding into this conversation here of something I was thinking about yesterday. Is you probably can do things against C.J. Stroud that you can't do against Cade McNamara because of the pre-snap processing of a true freshman versus a, a guy like like McNamara. So yeah. I I agree and disagree because some of the throws he made were just beautiful and some he of just, his recognition was 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 great but he had freshman quarterback moments that's that's right. true and some and some misses that were they weren't damaging in terms of the outcome of the game they were damaging in terms of turning field goals into touchdowns yep like that's yeah. and so my larger point being nobody's perfect. <laughs> Yeah. Nobody's perfect. The, the best quarterbacks in the world throw for what? 65%, 68%. Like that's it's getting closer that's to pretty... 71 now. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Uh, but that, that, that's, that's just the style of, of play that's <clears throat> happening more in, in the NFL and college now. But yeah, that the high sixties is where you should be. And Sean Clifford is, is around there. Um, one other thing about the Michigan offense, going back to the, the question about Blake Corum and uh, Hassan Haskins is, I laughed when I put the film on and I watched this offense because it is clearly a control copy, control paste, and you just cut half of it off of what is Josh Gaddis and what is uh, what is Jim Harbaugh. After giving up the reins and letting Josh Gaddis have the offense, he said, no, 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 no. We're going to go 1984 football in the shotgun. That's this offense. And by the way, the offensive line is, to your point about it's hard to be great, they're just okay. They're big. They, they, they are concussive with their blocking in repetition. But if you're a Power 5 football team that has defensive tackles and you don't miss tackles at the linebacker level, you can handle this offense. And, and that's going to be the game to me is like the offensive line, unless there's a critical failure at the defensive tackle position again, Penn State is built to stop this team. It, they will be frustrated on the ground. 
perfect. I mean, <laughs> I think that you're you're making Michigan fans watching this very upset right now. But uh, you know, it, it, it's I I think that there are some questions about who who and what these guys are. I I mean, Clayton Safey said it like this is going to probably be the toughest defense that Michigan has faced so far this season. And yeah. so that's always that's always an interesting dynamic to me is how much do you know about the team that you cover mm-hmm. and how much does the other team know about itself when it's a strength on strength situation because I don't really see any other way to frame this game in terms of Michigan has been very good running the ball. Yeah. Penn State's been very good stopping the run. So the and this is why I asked James Franklin this last night is watching on film. I don't know that their tackles are particularly great against athletes. Uh and, and Jesse Lucchetta is that's why his health in this game is critical because tackles for loss gets this offense off schedule. And while Cade McNamara can get you on schedule sometimes, if you're going up against this particular defense that is good in coverage. That's going to be a problem for them if they're in if they're in second and nine. And are we going to run for and, and risk the fact that Luquette is going to beat the tackle with an inside move and get to the running back and force him inside? And you're going to have Ellis Brooks living on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Like that's a to me, that's a big thing in this game is getting those tackles for a loss and getting this offense off schedule. And I've seen enough of that that I think that Pence can do that there. It just becomes are the linebackers clean? Can the defensive yep. tackles keep them clean so that, that Brandon Smith and Ellis Brooks can run into the backfield and get those guys? Because if if they don't, then you got Haskins and possibly Corm on the second level. That's where they do their damage. That right. is where you're in danger of Jair Brown being one-on-one in the flat with somebody and then he's gone. I, I think it is telling, to your point, that those guys have a combined eight yards in losses mm-hmm. this season. It's hard right? to do. Like, they don't get tackled behind the line of scrimmage ever. And so Penn State, one of Penn State's big things defensively, and again, like this is no mystery, they love getting people off schedule because it opens up the aggressiveness that you can play with on third down. Uh, It it turns you into a one-dimensional offense, turns them into a defense that can pounce in those situations. And they would love... Nothing more than to do that over and over and over again. The worst thing that Penn State defense can see is a Michigan offense that has repeated second and ones, third and twos. Yep. And because- the same, same thing on the other side, too. This is a, you know, pass rush is the way they get you off schedule as well because they, they, yep. they have the ability on both sides of the ball. It's something James Franklin talked about. These are two good defenses. It's yep. going to be it's going to be a fun game. Well, and and better than the offenses like that's I mean, it, yeah. I don't I don't think anybody wants to hear that. But uh, at least from Michigan's side of things, I think I've been very blunt about what this Penn State offense is. <laughs> I just I, you know, I I don't think that there's any getting around it at this point. Yeah. But I think that there's also a little bit of truth to that for Michigan's offense that, OK, some of the numbers that they've put up uh, have been skewed a little bit by the non-conference schedule that they played. Uh, and and just generally speaking, they're coming in in the high twenties, low thirties. Yep. And so, and and against defenses that I would argue probably are not as good as Penn State. So, combine those two factors. Maybe you know a, a winning number in this game feels to me like 
24. Yeah. Like that, that'll probably get it done for either one of these offenses against either one of these defenses. Cause that's how good I think they are. Yeah. And it, it, in this game, and this is always my blind spot is I, I tend to think if you don't have a good quarterback and passing attack in games like this, that are close to James Franklin's point, can you consistently get explosive plays and, and I always forget that you can get explosive plays in the running game. That is a thing that happens. But if you don't have the better quarterback or the more explosive passing attack, that is the easier way to get explosive plays. And that's why I always favor the team that can throw the ball better. But in this particular game, we'll see. I think it's, I, to me, this is very much a toss-up. Um, do you think that that's right? Do you think this is a toss-up game or are you leaning one way or the other? No, I, I I call it a toss up. I, I I put Penn State at three touchdowns with. I mean, this is stupid. I I hate making picks in games like this because everyone is offended about it, right. no matter which side you choose. But I gave Penn State the traditional three points for being at home, and then Penn State's three touchdowns against Michigan's two touchdowns and three field goals. Like, five. So I got twenty four. <laughs> I got twenty four twenty three. But you could. The only thing that I won't buy is that either one of these teams blows the other one out. Yeah. I I yeah. have I cannot envision that. There isn't a world where that exists in my mind uh in terms of and let's talk about let's be realistic about this what what the more likely is. I don't see Penn State's defense allowing that to happen. Yeah. I don't it just it doesn't seem reasonable to me to suggest that Michigan without some funky plays, without some uh, defensive touchdown, some some type of uh, dagger turnover, what have you, which which, yeah, they're all possibilities, but they're not high on the likelihood scale. So, yeah, like 38 to 17 does not feel right to me, but I. I want to wrap we'll up by saying that I think this is going to be a great game and a fun game. Me too. But as Me too. I as I said earlier, running offenses are super boring. So it might also be like watching paint dry between a team that punts all the time in three and outs and one that goes 57 yards and kicks a field goal. So that's also a possibility this weekend. That does it for the BWI Daily Edition. Thank you very much, Nate. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. We will be Always back. a pleasure. We will be back tomorrow to wrap up the week and then preview more of Michigan. BWI Live coming after the game. Make sure you tune in.